Let's pray. Lord, indeed, you are holy. Lord, we will stand with the angels and sing your praises of holy, holy, holy. As we are before your throne, remembering the cost of our redemption, the cost that Christ paid on the cross. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you today and even today sing holy, holy, holy in an imperfect world, in an imperfect state. And Lord, we look forward to that day when all things are made new and the imperfect is made perfect. The lion will lie with the lamb. The heart of mankind will no longer be deceitful. His way is no longer wicked. We look forward to celebrating who you are and what you've done for all of eternity. Today, Lord, help us to see clearly what you have for us while we're still here. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, as we turned to Hosea, we saw that Hosea had been called by God, that he had been called to a difficult task, to marry a woman who was promiscuous, to have children of promiscuity, that the nation of Israel, like Gomer would be judged, the name Jezreel given to the first child, that God would not have compassion, the name of the second child, and that God would disown his people and say, you are not my people and I will not be your God. Today we're going to be looking at Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse 2, and then we'll be looking at chapter 3 as well. And like last week, I wanted to take some liberty to kind of add to the narrative of Hosea, there's not a whole lot of detail, so you can follow along. It's basically five verses in chapter three that we're going to see this from. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. Hosea and Gomer had been married for a while now, and one day they decide to go to the market. Hosea and Gomer, along with their kids, decide it's a good day for the market, so they head out to the market. And if you've ever been with kids in a grocery store or in any kind of store, you'll know that they don't want to be where you are. They want to be over there or over there. And so you either keep a tight leash on them or you trust that they are nearby. And Jose and Gomer's kids, like all kids, had kind of wandered. And like parents often do, Hosea and Gomer looked at each other and without a word, they just did this. And they had communicated everything they needed to communicate that the kids had gone away. Hosea would go and get them and Gomer would finish the shopping. So Hosea runs off after the kids and he finds the kids at their favorite fruit vendor. This guy had picked fresh figs this morning and was now selling these fresh figs and the kids were begging can we have some figs? We really want the figs. So Hosea obliges. He says, yeah, let's get some figs. We'll take them out. We'll sit under that tree right outside the city. So they buy the figs. They go outside. They're sitting out at the tree and they're enjoying the figs. The kids finish. They want to play in the stream that goes through. So they have a good time playing. And Hosea says, well, let's head back. But before we do, let's take the long way around because I want to show you where I first heard God's voice. So Hosea takes the kids and he starts to tell them like, hey, we were here and this is what was happening. And I heard God speak to me and call me to be a prophet. And as Hosea is telling them this story, he looks and he says, 
Is, is that your mom? And he looks back into the city and he, he thinks he sees Gomer. But it, it, it looks like at least what she was wearing. And kids, is that, is that her right inside the, the city gate? Do you see her there? Like, I don't know, Dad. I mean, maybe I think that's what she was wearing. Could that have? Well, who's she with? She was getting food, so I don't. Anyways, let's go. Hosea's ready to go. He takes the kids. Let's, let's head back. Let's go back to the market. We'll find mom. So they go back and he asks the merchant, hey, have you seen Gomer? She's not here. Oh, Hosea, she's, she was gone right after you. She grabbed her stuff and she, was, she headed out. Well, we went outside the city. Where did she go? Back home? Like, no, she was going totally different direction. A couple of weeks go by and Hosea wakes up one morning and reaches over and he feels, but the bed's empty. It's normal though because Gomer might get up early and get breakfast ready, get the day started. And so Hosea gets up and she's not there. And so he walks out into the main part of the house and Gomer always starts the fire so she can cook breakfast and start their day. And so he reaches down and he feels the coals. And they're cold. And it's a striking metaphor that hits Hosea right then. The coals, like Gomer, have grown cold over the last few weeks. All of the thoughts start to race through Hosea's mind. All of the memories start flooding back. Gomer! He looks outside, but he knows she's not there. She's not in the garden. She's not with the animals. She's certainly not in the house. She's gone. So Hosea goes back and he lays down in bed alone. Why is she so selfish? What have I not given her that she could have wanted? Wool and flax and new wine and oil, silver and gold, everything. See now she looks at other men. I knew this day was coming. Hosea spends his days working. And he comes home and he tries to answer the question, where's mom? And he lies in bed alone, crying to himself, trying to answer the question, where is she? He doesn't have an answer that's any better than the one he gives the kids. I don't know. Even though she's broken their covenant, their marital vows, Hosea stays, Hosea stays faithful to Gomer. His friends tell him, Hosea, man, just let her go. I mean, not, not to be offensive, but she, she doesn't really love you. I don't know if she ever did. You knew what you were getting into. 
We're not surprised. You're not surprised, right? Hosea? And one of his friends, you know, we all have that friend who is quick to put their foot in their mouth. Hosea's friend says, hey, I saw Gomer. And he backpedals out of that part of that conversation as quick as he can. But Hosea stops him like, wait, what did you say? You saw Gomer the other? No, 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 no. A different Gomer. Not your wife. No, stop lying to me. I know. Tell me what happened. I just, Hosea, don't make me do this. You don't want this. I don't, just let it go. Hosea doesn't want to let it go. He wants to know where she is and what's happening and all the details. And his friend relents and he says, you know that, that temple out there that I got to the false idol, Baal. You know that temple out there that I just saw her out there. Why was she out there? What was she doing? She by herself? Hosea, don't make me do this. Just answer my questions, Hosea demands. Where was she? What was she doing? Who was she with? I don't know who the guy was, Hosea. You know that gold hairpin that you had given her as a wedding present? That, that solid gold hairpin that she always wore? I saw her take it out. Okay, her and this guy that were there, together they held it and they offered it as a sacrifice to Baal. They gave it as an offering to that false god that those people worship. Now, Hosea has endured more than most people have endured. In chapter 2, verse 2 starts Hosea's response. Kind of gives a picture of how Hosea feels. And as we read chapter 2, keep in mind that Hosea and Gomer are a picture of God and the Israelites the faithful husband, the faithful God, the unfaithful wife, the unfaithful people. And these two threads, they kind of run parallel with each other. And in some parts, you see the, the thread of God with the Israelites come to the surface. And other times you see the thread of Hosea and Gomer come to the surface. Chapter 2 has a lot of that variance going back and forth. So let's read how God feels about Israel and how Hosea feels about Gomer. Hosea 2, 2. Rebuke your mother. Rebuke her. She is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the promiscuous look from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and expose her as she was on the day of her birth. I will make her like a desert and like a parched land. I will let her die of thirst. I will have no compassion on her children because they are the children of promiscuity. Yes, their mother is promiscuous. She conceived them and acted shamefully for she thought, I will follow my lovers. The men who give me my food and water, my wool and flax, my oil and drink, Therefore, this is what I will do to her. 
I will block her way with thorns. I will enclose her with a wall so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will think, I will go back to my former husband, for then it was better for me than now. And she doesn't recognize that it was I who gave her the grain and the new wine and the fresh oil. I lavished silver and gold on her, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I'll take back my new grain in its time and my wine in its season. I'll take away the wool and the linen, which were to cover her nakedness. And now I will expose her shame in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her from my power. I will put an end to all her celebrations, her feasts, new moons and Sabbaths, and all her festivals. I will devastate her vines and her fig trees. She thinks that these are her wages, wages that her lover has given her. I'll turn them into a thicket and the wild animals will eat them. And I'll punish her for her days with the bales to which she burned incense. She put on her rings and her jewelry and followed her lovers, but she forgot me. This is the Lord's declaration. Hosea gives this picture of a depraved woman. Every negative adjective you could think of applies to her. She's wicked. She's deceitful. She's outright lying. She's depraved. Listen to some of these things that she says in verse 5. For she thought... I will follow my lovers, the men who give me my food and water, my oil, my wood, wool and flax, my oil and drink. And Hosea in verse 8 says, but she does not recognize that I'm the one who gave her those things. I'm the one who lavished silver and gold on her, which they used for Baal. Hosea says, I gave her all of these things, everything that she wanted, and she took them to her lovers, and the two of them got together and said, let's take what Hosea has given you and offer it to the idol. She thinks that the wages, the vineyards, and the orchards from her lovers, but they were Hosea's, that he had given her. She says, I'll go back to my former husband. You know, and we'd like to think, I'm going to go back. It's not all working out, so let me go back. It's where my kids are. It's where my husband is. It's where I've committed to be. I made this vow, but she says, it's better for me. I'm going to go back, not for the kids, not for my husband, because it's better for me. She's wicked and she's selfish above all things. I think 13, verse 13, really kind of sums up her whole attitude. She put on her rings and her jewelry. Like you can imagine this, right? Hosea's standing there and she's got rings on, she's got jewelry on, she's got her best outfit on, she did her makeup, she's got her hair done, and she's ready to go out. So she goes to the door and Hosea's like, hey, we, we got a date night? I didn't know we were going out. And she's like, we 
aren't going out, Hosea. I'm going out. You're staying here. She put on her rings and her jewelry, and she forgot me. Nobody looks at Gomer and says, she's upstanding, she's decent, so she made a mistake. We look at her and we see the full picture of wickedness. You know, we'd take all of these things, if, if they were heavy enough, when we'd put them all together and we'd scoop them up and we'd stand her here and we'd just drop all of her sin on her head. And we'd look at her and say, you deserve this. You had it coming. Every day, you're choosing this lifestyle. Therefore, you shouldn't be surprised at what happens. You've chosen sin. You've chosen to chase after your lovers. You've chosen to walk away from your commitment. You've chosen to walk away from your children. Therefore, you get nothing. And therefore is how verse 14 starts. Look at verse 14. Therefore, Hosea says, therefore I'm going to persuade her. Therefore, I'm going to take her out to the wilderness. And I will speak tenderly to her. I know what she deserves. But Hosea says, but therefore... Understanding all of this, in light of all of this, I know that she deserves all of the judgment and therefore provides a very unexpected answer, an unexpected solution here for Hosea. Therefore, I'm going to speak tenderly to her, take her to the wilderness and persuade her. Hosea is saying, I'm going to take her and I'm going to persuade her that our life is good. I'm going to speak tenderly to her that she is good and I love her. I'm going to take her out to the wilderness where we can be alone. I'm going to take her out and say, hey, do you remember that time that we walked out here? Remember we had that day that we just enjoyed each other's company. We went to these places. We did these things. We laughed. We talked. We dreamed of what our life was going to be like. I'm going to speak tenderly to her. Hey, I know you've made mistakes. I know you've done things that you shouldn't have done. But I offer you forgiveness. The therefore provides an unexpected amount of forgiveness. The crimes that she's committed against Hosea, the offenses are so great that nobody expects there to be forgiveness. It's undeserved. And on top of all of that, she offers no apology. She offers no repentance. It's one thing if Gomer comes to him and begs him, Hosea, I've messed it all up. I know it. I've been wicked. I've done the wrong things. I've walked out on you and the kids. I've chased after my lovers. I've given the things that you've given me to the idols. I've messed up. Will you forgive me? None of that. Just unexpected forgiveness from Hosea. 
And I know Hosea is a far off idea. We don't understand the culture. We don't understand the time period. We don't understand the relationships. But take that idea and bring it all the way back here. Because I know that some of you have had a neighbor, that, that neighbor that just wants to spite you. No matter what you do, he's angry and he just wants you to be angry. He's a bitter person that just wants everybody else to be bitter. You know, it's like you walk in the backyard and there's like, there's too much dog poop back here. And I don't even own a dog. And you look over the fence and, well, I guess that's where all the dog poop came from. You know, he just wants you to suffer. Or maybe it's a coworker, a coworker that, you know, you go to get your lunch out of the fridge and your lunch isn't there. And you look and it's in the garbage can. You open it, it's still there. He stole your lunch and didn't even eat it. He just wanted you to be unhappy. Maybe it's your children. You know, you've got those adult kids that they've grown up and they've wandered away and they've done the wrong things and you've told them to stop doing what they're doing and you've given them the ultimatums and they did it anyways. You told them that I'm not going to be around you ever again. You're making your own bed, you're going to lie in it. And you know, maybe if they came back and apologized, maybe if they asked for my forgiveness, I might give it to them. Or maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your parents who gave you the ultimatum. Said, don't ever do this. And you did it. And you're forever cut off. But now they need to come back to you. If they would come and apologize to me for everything that they've done to me, then I might forgive them. But in your heart, you know that you won't. Or maybe it's a spouse. A spouse that has done things that should not have been done. Lived in a way that should not have been lived in. And you lie next to that person every night. But you've got bitterness and you've got resentment. You know what, even if they ask for forgiveness... Even if they show repentance, it's too far gone. I'm done. I'm going to lay here every night because I know that's the right thing to do, but I'm done. That's how Hosea should have felt. And we look at Hosea and we say, he has every right to be bitter. Every right to be angry. And therefore... Therefore, I will persuade her and I will take her out to the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her and I will offer unexpected forgiveness. Forgiveness that has not been earned and not been asked for. I will give her unexpected forgiveness. I will give him unexpected forgiveness. 
your forgiveness from Christ did not come when you asked for it. Your forgiveness from the Lord did not come when you showed repentance. Our forgiveness from God came after all of our sin, us being Gomer and deserving all of our sin to be heaped up on top of us and just smashing us. God says, therefore, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's unexpected because the offense is so great that God offers an unexpected forgiveness. But then look at verses 15 through 18. It says, There I will give her vineyards back to her. I will make the valley of Acre into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth. As in the day she came up out of the land of Egypt... Hosea remembers a time in Joshua chapter 7 that a man named Achan had severely offended God. The, the Israelites had just come into the promised land and God had told Joshua, go out and destroy these people, they're wicked people. So Joshua said, let's send some scouts and let's see what we need to do to win this battle. So the scouts go out and the scouts come back and they tell Joshua, they're a weak people. There's hardly any of them out there. A couple thousand people, and we'll wipe them out. Easy. So Joshua says, okay, they send out a couple thousand soldiers, and they come back, tail between their legs, beaten bad. And Joshua goes to the Lord, and he says, you told us to go. We went. You told us to destroy them, but we got whooped. God said, yeah, that's what happens when you disobey me. That's what happens when you steal from me. That's what happens when I tell you not to do something, you do something. And I can imagine Joshua's confusion because he's done what God has told him to do. God says, but not everybody in the camp has. So the very next morning, Joshua gets up and he lines up the, the tribes of Israel. And one of them is selected. He gets rid of everybody and the heads of all the clans of that tribe. And one is selected. The families of all of those clans, and one is selected. The fathers of each of those families, and one is selected. And Joshua says, you better give glory to God right now. What did you do? He says, man, Joshua, there's this coat that I really liked. So I took it. Also gold and silver, and I got a bunch of other stuff too. I, I messed up. It's all in my tent. You can go get it. Joshua goes digs up, it's like right under his tent. And he finds all this stuff that Achan has. You violated what God said not to do. You have to have punishment. And they kill Achan. And Joshua 7 says, and this valley is called the Valley of Acre, which means trouble. So this valley of trouble, Hosea is saying, I'm gonna make into a gateway of hope what used to be trouble and death and murder and sin and rebellion. It's going to be the gateway of hope. It's literally going to be transformed into something that nobody wants, into something that everybody looks for. 
God is restoring what once was into what it can be. In verses 19 and 20, we see further redemption. It says, I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. Three times Hosea repeats, I will take you to be my wife. I will take you to be my wife. If you haven't caught it yet, I will take you to be my wife. Hosea is offering this unexpected forgiveness. He's restoring her to her position of what she was. And he's redeeming all of the bad parts of her life and presenting them as they once were. Hosea says in the days of her youth, it will be like it was in the days of her youth. You know, the days of most of our youths were easy times. Most people are healthy. You look forward to the future. Where will we live? What will I do? How will my life be? It's exciting. It's hopeful. You got the whole world in front of you. The was it? world's your oyster, right? And then you start to age. You're like, no, we can't do that. We don't got the money. We don't got the time. And I'm just tired. I physically shouldn't be doing that anymore. I should not be playing football on Thanksgiving. <laughs> not in the days of my youth anymore. And we look back and we say, the days of our youth, they were good days. They were easy times. And Hosea is saying, it's going to be like in the days of our youth when we went out together and we enjoyed that time. You know, I, think, and I, I thought of the days of our physical youth, but I also thought of the days of our spiritual youth. You know, when you first come to know the Lord, it's exciting. There are things that are like, that the Lord is showing you and you're convicted of your sin and you're, you're leaving that sin behind. And then how you came to faith, you're like, why doesn't everybody know about this? Why don't they know that God has offered forgiveness for their sins? Why don't they have a hope of heaven? In the days of our youth of Spiritual youth and faith in Christ are often exciting times. But then for many people, we get to today and our physical body is here, but our heart has wandered. You know, our, our physical body says, I'm a Christian, but Monday morning says different. See, God offers redemption. He says, I forgive you, I'll restore you, I'll redeem you, I'll give you a new start. Just like the days of your youth. Just like the days when the things of Christ were exciting, when you had that hope and you, you had a carefree attitude. I don't care what they think of me. I'm willing to do and say whatever the Lord calls me to do. Like Hosea, so he went. The days of our youth, so we went. And God offers that redemption, that restoration, and a new chance. And that same thing was offered to Gomer, that hope of redemption. See, some time has passed in our story of Gomer. Gomer's been gone. Hosea's been alone. 
and he hears the words of God again and his mind has been so preoccupied that they startle him. And the words of God are like a knife in Hosea's back. When God speaks to Hosea, he says, go again. Go again to that infamous alley. Go again to that horrible place that you've not even walked near. Go again to the worst moment of your life and remember what has happened there. Go again, God says to Hosea, your wife is an adulteress and she's loved by another man. Go and buy her. Hosea is a prophet and he knows God's word is true. He knows God's word needs to be obeyed. So he takes the kids, he goes next door and he puts his kids with his neighbor. And he's like, just watch, don't ask questions. And he goes back to his house and he dumps out his piggy bank on the bed and he's got about three months of savings, of earnings saved. Will that be enough? So he grabs some bushels of barley, which are like an asset. They could be used for cash. So he's got about double now. Will that be enough? Oh, hold on. Is she even worth the cost? Never mind. He just has to go. So he goes to the door and he takes a deep breath and he steps out and he starts walking across the city. It's walking that's brisk and slow at the same time and a thousand thoughts are running through his head. He doesn't have a single clear thought. People wave, hey, Hosea, as he walks by and what would he say if he could even put two words together? He's so focused on his task ahead of him. What will I say? What will I do? Hosea turns the corner of the alley and he starts walking down those steps again. This alley that he told himself, I will never see again. And then he sees some of the same faces that he saw years ago. Some of them, though, this time, they just look away. He's too pitiful. I can't even bring myself to mock him. It's just sad. But not everyone. Hey, Hosea! How much are you willing to pay to get her back? Hosea, just let it be the end. And I've got a new beginning for you. Come on, Hosea. We all know she's not worth the cost. But Hosea walks and he gets to the end of that alley. And he sees Gomer and Gomer sees him and her face turns red and she looks down in shame. She's sitting uncomfortably close to a man who shouts at him, Hosea, you want to buy your wife back from me? It's going to cost you 30 pieces of silver. 
Everybody laughs because 30 pieces of silver is the legal price for a slave. Your wife's just a slave, Jose. You want to buy her back? Pay the price of a slave. Without taking his eyes off the man, Hosea reaches into his pocket. He throws the money to the man. To Hosea, she's worth the cost. Hosea redeems his wife as God told him to. As they turn to leave the alley, just like they did years ago, they get to the end of the alley and they turn the corner and Hosea stops Gomer and he says, I've got a new agreement this time. You're to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any other man and I will be the same to you. And it's over. The narrative of Hosea ends as abruptly as it started. The two of them walking away. Hosea has redeemed his wife. A picture of God's redemption of Israel. See, in Hosea's day, everyone recognized Hosea. He was a prophet. Everybody knew who he was. That was the point. God picked somebody that everybody would know and said, this life is going to be difficult. And in that, God was going to redeem. Out of the difficulty, out of the sin, out of the shame, God would redeem his people. And we have this unfaithful spouse and this faithful spouse. The unfaithful spouse Gomer, she put on her rings and her jewelry and she just wanted somebody to notice her. Just look at me. Am I beautiful? Do you love me? Will you give me things? She chased after her lovers. I'll follow my lovers. She desired something that she didn't have. And she chased them. She pursued her lovers, but not catch them. She kept looking for them, but not find them. What she wanted was never going to satisfy her. So she kept looking and she kept pursuing and she kept going. She always wanted to be satisfied. You've chased sin long enough to know that even if you catch it, it's not going to satisfy. But too often we go looking for it and we want it and we seek after it and we chase after it. And whether we catch sin or whether we don't catch sin, it leaves us unsatisfied. Gomer was unsatisfied. So she says, I will go back to my former husband because it is better for me. Unsatisfied and unrepentant. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. And don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Gomer was bought at a price. 
as a Christian, you were bought at a price. Paul says, or Hosea says to Gomer, you're bought at a price, therefore live with me many days. Do not be promiscuous. Honor your covenant. Maintain your devotion to me alone. And God says to us as Christians, you were bought at a price. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sin. Stop chasing the desires because they'll never satisfy. If you catch them, you'll not be satisfied. The sinful desires will never satisfy. We have Gomer, the unfaithful spouse, and we have Hosea, the, for, the, the faithful spouse, who gives unexpected love, unexpected forgiveness, and he just gives. He persuades her. He speaks tenderly to her. He takes her so they can be alone, so he can convince her. But it's not even for his own good alone. It's for her good that he seeks her forgiveness, that he seeks her repentance, that he seeks her restoration. See, Hosea and Gomer, God and Israel, it's a perfect parallel between us and Christ. The perfect, the imperfect, the Savior, those needing to be saved. And if I had to ask you to put a price on what you're worth, it'd probably be a number. And there would be a number that we would say, maybe you're not worth the cost. Maybe you look at yourself and say, am I worth the cost? Is she worth the cost? Is he worth the cost? On the cross, Christ answered that question. The answer was a resounding yes. You are worth the cost. It's not a million dollars. It's not $10 million. It's something far greater than that. Peter says this, For you know that you are redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like gold and silver, not with millions of dollars. You were redeemed not with cash, but with the precious blood of Christ. It has no equal. There's no value that you can say, what about this much money? Can I buy these gifts? Can I buy this salvation? He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You were redeemed from your empty way of living to the end so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, Christ came when Christ did. And he was foreknown. It was promised from way before the earth was even created and revealed in these last times for you. If you've never realized that you were like Gomer, that you have sinned and walked away from God, that Christ has been revealed in these days 
for you, that you've been bought at a price, that God said through Christ, you are worth the cost. What's it going to cost? 30 pieces of silver? That's what Judas paid, right? That's what Jesus was worth to an unbeliever. It's what Gomer was worth to somebody that didn't care about her. You see, Christ on the cross said, you're worth more than that. You're worth everything. Everything I have, my life, I give because you are worth the cost. You know, I see Hosea's sacrifices. Marrying a prostitute, giving his kids horrible names, spending his savings, just being a walking metaphor. It's a disgusting and vivid picture of our sin. But then on the other side of that, you have this beautiful and perfect, striking contrast of Christ on the cross, something that should be a disgusting picture and something that should be beautiful. A woman adorned in gold and jewelry and all done up is disgusting. And a brutal and torturous way of death is beautiful. Because one redeems and one condemns. Christ came that we might be redeemed. See, we serve a God who is a God of the guilty. He doesn't expect your perfection. He offers forgiveness in your guilt. We serve a God of the wayward. We serve a God of the sinner. We serve a God who pulls the prostitute off the street and hands her the keys to the mansion. The God of Gomer. He's a God who says, you are worth the cost. And then he proves it by sending Christ to the cross to pay for your sin and mine. Let's pray. Lord, oh, what a wretched man am I that you would need to send your son that I might be redeemed that I might not put my hope in myself, in jewelry and money and assets and things, in the love of people and acquiring what we think we desire, Lord, but our hope is transferred to you. Lord, you have redeemed us out of the pit. May we offer forgiveness as you've given forgiveness. May we reach out a hand as Hosea did to Gomer. May we speak of redemption as the only way of living, separate from our empty way of life. That redemption being paid for with the precious blood of Christ. No gold or silver could have bought our redemption. And in that, Lord, we have a hope of eternity with you. Lord, may we see Gomer and ourselves for the purpose of your redemption.
for your perfect plan throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament as we see the need for Christ. We see the picture of his perfection on the cross, covering our sins, taking upon himself my sin for the purpose of my redemption and your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.